Welcome to the Restoration Church Life Podcast. We hope this resource helps keep you informed about the various happenings inside the life of our church and equips you to make disciples that delight in the supremacy of Jesus Christ. This is the T2 Forum, named after Titus 2. Uh, Titus 2.10 says we want to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And so again, that is our hope through these classes is that you will not only learn new things, but that you will adorn, show how beautiful God is in His character and what He has done for us. And so they're biblically based, meaning everything we should say should come out of the Bible. You should check what we say with what the Bible already says. They're discussion-driven, meaning... When I ask questions, we want you actually talking uh, and learning from one another, and they are application-oriented. Today, we'll do a lot of application in terms of work, and so we want to make these as practical as possible for you. So again, it's not just another lecture, another talk, another whatever. Uh, and so last th- over the course of February, we're talking about making sense of the Bible. And so uh, good news is... Uh, We have put everything that we're going to say into a little booklet or book. Catherine has been very helpful. And so hopefully within the next week or so, we will have these printed to give you guys. Uh, And so everything that we've said or will say has been put into more of a book form. So for your future reference and so you could go and disciple others. So when somebody asks you, how should I read the Bible? I have a great little book that we should walk through it together. So we begin thinking about making sense of the Bible. We started talking about... Uh, a method. Though there is not a formula per se, there is a method. And so what are some things in life that we are glad that there is a proper method? Baking. Why is it important to have a proper method when you bake? I look from one for thankful that you have a proper method when you make cookies. If you use the wrong method, they won't come out. That's right, which I have been a victim of before, not reading the indirect directions entirely. Yeah. So baking is one. What's another area where we think there's a method? Yes, Lori. Online banking, yes. If there was not a proper method, who knows where your money would be. Uh, one of the ones I thought about was surgery. I'm quite thankful that surgeons have a method and they just don't go in and start cutting stuff up. <laughs> yes, as we, as some of us know more firsthand than others. Uh, and so, we, again, this is just the idea that, that having a method is, is important. And so it is when it comes to God's Word. It's having a method, a framework, when we dive in. And so... Uh, one of the guiding verses for our time together is 2 Timothy 2.15. Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, Do your best, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Well, how do we do that, Paul? Rightly handling the word of truth. So do your best, present yourself to God as one approved. We're already approved. We don't have to approve ourselves by rightly handling the word of truth. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to rightly handle the word of truth. And so last week we talked about some ways that were maybe not right ways to handle the truth. So uh, like the magic eight ball approach, where you just randomly pick a verse and you put your finger down and you read it and you try to go apply that to your life that given day. What's wrong with that? And there is something wrong with that. That's right. It provides knowledge, but not a way. God is not going to guide our lazy fingers. He could, he could, but he's not demanded to do so. Uh, how about the yearbook method? It's one of my favorites. What do you do when you get a yearbook? Find yourself. Find yourself. It's not about you. 
It's not about you. Yeah, right. Not only do you find yourself, you begin to compare yourself to others. How good do I look or how bad do I look? How about the uh, pinball method? It's kind of bouncing all over. Bouncing all over? Losing context. Losing context, yeah. Uh, the expert method? So you read a passage and then you immediately go study the, the study the study notes? Or you go to the commentary? What's wrong with this? Not doing it for yourself, yeah. So we're called to love God with our mind, not someone else's mind. And they're human. They might be really smart, but they're still human. And, I think, and then the support group method, where you read a passage of the Bible, then you either think about how you feel about it, or you discuss it in a group what it means to you. What are wrong with those? What's wrong with at the first question being, how do I feel about this? It's not about you. Sometimes how are we going to feel about passages that are... We're not going to like them. We're not going to like them. So, right? There's some things that we just aren't going to like off the cuff. And then if you close your Bible and everybody, like, what does this mean to you? Okay, what does it mean to you? What's wrong with that? Scripture is not given to personal interpretation. That's right. It's not personal interpretation. Those last two words, what does it mean to you? That's where the error begins to start. If you just ask what does it mean, as we'll see next week, that's an important question. But when you add those last two words, that's when we start to get into a lot of trouble. And so those are some ways that we don't want to go about doing that. And so we laid out a framework in which we'll discuss this week, next week, and the following of observation, what do I see? Interpretation, what does it mean? And application, why does it matter? And so today we're going to focus on observation. Next week we'll focus on interpretation. And the following week we will focus on application. A couple of reminders before we get to observation. We already talked about this one, but the Bible is not about you. It's not about me. It is about Jesus. And so the Bible tells us of God's gracious redemption of all peoples and the glorious restoration of all things through the life, death, burial, resurrection, reign, and return of Jesus. Why is it important that we remember this? What's the danger if we forget the Bible is ultimately about Jesus and what he has done and will do? We're going to miss the point of the story, right? So as soon as we forget that it's about Jesus, we start filling in something else that it's about, whether that's about us or whether it's about politics or whether it's about any kind of particular thing, we're going to start <coughs> looking for answers to questions the Bible is trying to ask. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the reasons we're going to, we're going to fill it in with something. I know when I forget this, I can feel, either feel really prideful for how great I'm doing or really guilty for what I'm not doing. Instead of starting with Jesus, like, no, he's already done it. That's the point. Um, yes, there's, there's great danger in forgetting that. We also have to remember that the, reading the Bible is not just an intellectual, academic activity, but it's a spiritual activity. It's a spiritual endeavor. Remember, the, the illustration I used last week was that of the sailboat. I don't know really anything about sailing, uh, but I do know it probably requires a lot of hard work, and you have to do things such as tie ropes, untie ropes, steer, hoist the sail, do all those things. But what's the one thing you can't do when you're sailing that's really important? Control the wind. But the wind is necessary, right? And so, but if you don't put up the sail and the wind comes, what's going to happen? Nothing. 
And so we have to remember that God has promised when we put up the sails of reading Scripture, His Spirit will blow. That's what He's promised. We don't have to guess, is He going to blow? Is the wind of the Spirit going to come? He said in His Word, that's what He does. And so we have to remember, so we have to bathe. We're not going to talk at length about prayer through this time, but just know you should start all the way through and end with prayer when it comes to reading the Scriptures because we need the Spirit's help to understand and apply. And the final reminder for us is the ultimate goal of reading the Bible. The ultimate goal is to know and to delight in God. And then I would say, help others do that as well. What's the danger if we forget this? What if we? What, what is the danger if we forget this is ultimately about delighting in God? So when I hear delighting, I think of an action, right? And... Uh... And ultimately, the point isn't just to know God, right? That's not the only point, that we're actually supposed to live that out in obedience to God. And so if we just convert it to head knowledge, it's just going to puff us up. Yeah. So one of the reasons if we forget this is about delighting, we can know a lot of stuff about God, but not actually delight and enjoy it. So that's one error. What's another error of not aiming at, at delight, enjoyment? That's right. Yeah, it can be kind of really burdensome. Like the, the old quiet times become a checkbox. Like, I don't want to do this, but I've got to do this type of thing. Now, there are times when duty needs to lead to delight, but ultimately, even keeping in mind, right, I'm doing this, I don't want to, but I'm doing it, not just to check a box, but I'm, I want to I know God so I can delight in it. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of problems if we forget the ultimate goal is to, to know, praise, and enjoy God, or fit it into our mission statement to make disciples that delight in the supremacy of Christ. So we read the Bible to delight in Christ and make disciples that do the same. That's why we do it. And so one of the things I want us to remember throughout our time is this is not just for you. It is for you. But I'm hoping and praying as you follow Jesus, you help others follow Jesus. And one of the most important things you need to do to help people follow Jesus is teach them to read the Bible. So, for example, one of the first, when David showed up at our church, one of the first things I did is sat down and basically went through this material with him. Say, hey, let's, let's, let's learn how to read the Bible. And so again, that's why we have put this together, so that you can take it and then begin to teach others. And so we have to keep disciple-making in view as we go through this stuff. So, all right, so those are our reminders. The Bible's not about you or me, it's about Jesus. It's a spiritual activity, meaning the Spirit has to blow, and it's ultimately about delighting in Christ and making disciples that do the same. So, here you are. I've convinced you maybe that this is important. You've got your Bible open. You don't know what to do. We need you to observe. But before we do that, let's do a little exercise. So on your outline, you have two circles. And what I want you to do is take a few minutes and draw the front and back of a penny from memory. No cheating on your cell phones. No pulling out pennies in your pockets. Draw a U.S. penny, the front and the back. Sorry, Ryan, Maleros, others. But you've still seen pennies, I'm sure. So from memory, draw your penny. Okay, so, there's, so we have the year, we have Lincoln. Uh, what's on the back? Lincoln Memorial. The Lincoln Memorial? With Lincoln inside. Or a shield. Or a shield, yeah. A shield. Shield, yes. So here's the point. I need a penny, actually. 
So how many pennies have you seen in your lifetime? Some more than others, right? But we see pennies all the time, yet we rarely stop to observe them. And so there's a whole lot of stuff on this penny that you just didn't even know was there. So if you look on the lower left shoulder of Lincoln, you can barely see it, but there's these little initials, VDB inscribed. Oh, wow. Victor David Brenner was the first artist who commissioned to design the coin. You can barely see it right there. It's like under the lip. It's under the lip of the shoulder, yeah. Lincoln is the only one who faces to the right. All other coins, the portraits face to the left. Um, if If you look at the back and you look really, really, really close at the middle of the Lincoln Memorial, you can actually see Lincoln's little outline in there. If you look, if you have one with the Lincoln Memorial on it, and you look to the, to the, just to the right of the Lincoln Memorial, I can barely see it on mine, but you see little initials, F-G. Frank Gasparo, the engraver who designed the backside. Since 2010, I didn't know this. Since 2010, we have the shield penny. So they're no longer making the Lincoln penny. The, the, uh, with the Lincoln Memorial back. It's all the shield penny. And the shield has 13 stripes. For what? 13 colonies. And then one bar across the top with E plebeius unum for the federal government. Out of many, one. Um, there's all kinds, yeah, there's, there's some initials inscribed in that. There's all kinds of stuff on the penny that we just don't take the time to stop and observe. So it is with the scriptures. So can you think about some passages that maybe are very familiar to you, but maybe you've not stopped to actually study in depth? For me, a couple weeks ago, it was Psalm 23. So that's one that is quoted all the time. I had never stopped and studied it. I never knew it moved from shepherd to king in that imagery. Any, any other passages that come to mind that, are, that we have a, maybe a surface-level understanding, but we've not actually stopped to study them in depth? Ah, Yes! I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Get good test scores, score touchdowns, as I think we'll see in a couple months, but I don't know if that was Paul's intention. So there's, we have, there's a host of passages in the Bible. And so, that are like this. And so, the first step is we need to stop and observe. And here's the general rule. The more time we spend observing, the better foundation we'll have in, for interpreting and applying. The more time we just stop and observe a passage the better foundation we'll have to rightly interpret and meaningfully apply that passage. And so even if we skip this step, right? So this is most where we skip. We want to know what does it mean and how does it apply. So even we do that with good intentions because the Bible is meant to be interpreted and it is meant to apply to our lives. But if we skip observation, even with good intentions, it's like showing up for church the first Sunday after daylight saving times, yet you forgot to set your clock. With good intentions, you show up, but you're left without direction. Yeah, we're like, oh, goodness. And so we have to take time to observe. And at the end of observation, we essentially want to ask, what is the summary of this passage? What is the structure? What is the flow? This is not the main point. We're not interpreting. We're just saying, what is there? What is there? And so we're going to spend the rest of our time doing it, observing, walking through. So you've got your Bible. You see a lot of words and sentences, but exactly what do you do? What should you begin to observe? The method of observation. First, 
Pray. Pray. As I've told you guys often, most times before I read the Bible, I'm praying Psalm 119.18. Open the eyes of my heart that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Lord, I need you to open the eyes of my heart. I need you to open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of your law. So help me, Lord. Help me pray. Lord, open my eyes. Help me see what is in your word. It's amazing when you read a passage one time, and then you go back again, and you see, like, how did I not see that? How did I not see that? So we pray. So we're going to look at Scripture in a minute, and so I want to pray for us that we wouldn't just rush into it. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. As we look at Ephesians 1 this morning, help us rightly observe and teach us. Show us amazing things out of your word, that we would be astounded at the beauty of what you have written that we might delight in you. Help us do this. Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of your law. We pray it in the only name worthy before your throne. the name of Jesus. Amen. First thing to look for, repeated words, phrases, or ideas. So repetition is like a neon sign flashing on a dark street at night. It's screaming, pay attention, pay attention, look at me, pay attention, look at me. Repetition is one of the author's most significant ways of pointing us to what he thinks is most important. And so let's do this. So you, have a, you, have, you can use your Bibles where there were, there were handouts with Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. So just take a minute, and the only thing you're looking for right now is repetition. What words, phrases, or ideas in this passage do you see repeated over and over and over again? Just take a moment, jot them down, and then we'll talk about them. Okay, I know we're having to move faster than you would an observator in this in, in your own devotional time, uh, but just on a very cursory reading, what are some of the words, phrases, ideas that you begin to see repeated in these verses, verses 3 through 14? Blessing, okay. In Him and in Christ, to the praise of His glory. Okay, family references. His will, inheritance. inheritance is repeated a couple times. Predestination is there a couple times. According to the purpose. So, and I don't think Paul kept using the same words because he didn't have a thesaurus to, to get synonyms. I think he's he for our benefit. He's he's using these phrases so that the the main kind of couple that you you mentioned them, but in and through Christ. Verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, verse 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. I think Paul's trying to tell us something. To the praise of His glory. Verse 6. Verse 12. Verse 14. According to. Verse 5. Verse 7, verse 9, verse 11, 
and verse 11. So these are all things repeated in this passage that begin to help us move to interpretation, but we're just observing at this moment. So this is just Ephesians. Can you think of other passages where repetition is an important pointer to what's happening? So that's Psalm 103. Yep. So it repeats over and over and over. Genesis And God said, and God said, and he said it was good. Yeah, he's just repeating over and over and over. So if you read the book of the Gospel of John, believe is used 79 times, always as a verb. If you read Leviticus, for I am the Lord, 70 times. What's that about? God showing that he's the Lord. Uh, If you read Philippians, joy, 14 times in four chapters. What is it about? Well, it has to do something with joy. And so we begin to see a lot just by observing these repetitions that are there. And so I can't say it enough. Look for repetition when you read the Scriptures. Another thing we look for is keywords or phrases. So a word may not be repeated, but alone may carry such significant weight that we need to consider it. What might be some of those words? That you just see, like, that word alone, I need to take note. Salvation. Think about words like propitiation. Uh, that's a, or we see in, in Ephesians 1, adoption. Yeah, any of these, these words. So, so looking at, again, take note, Ephesians 1, maybe words that are not repeated necessarily, but words that you look at them and you're like, that alone is a significant word that I need to pay attention to. So, so take note of those words and then we'll talk about them. So we've already, we've already mentioned one, the end through Christ or Him. Like that's, that's a huge term that we would need to interpret. We're not going to do that today because that's next week. We can't interpret today. We have to wait till next week to interpret. Uh, but no, that is one of those terms you would think, like, what does that mean? How does that happen? What are some other terms that we only see one time in this passage that we need to stop and consider? So, chose us. What does that mean? Yeah. What are some other terms that we see that carry a whole lot of significant weight by themselves? Sealed. Yeah, like that's interesting. Mystery. Mystery. Love. Beloved. In verse 10, um, the fullness of time. The fullness of time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right, we could go on and on. We have predestined, you have adoption, you have redemption. I mean, those words alone right there are pretty significant. You have inheritance. I mean, there, there's, so we want to take note of these words, okay, what do they mean, and not just gloss over them, but stop and consider how they fit. And even ask the question, like, why would Paul use adoption in one sense and redemption in another? Like, what's he doing there? Right, just considering those things. And so we want to look for words that are repeated, phrases that are repeated, but also those that are key words and phrases. And the third thing that I think it's helpful to look for is what we call linking words. So we want to identify linking words, words that make connections between sentences and ideas. So we can think of words like if, since, consequently, for this reason, therefore, because, that, so that, for this reason. I mean, all these words that we begin to see 
They're pointers about this time, now in those days. So again, now look at Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, and identify linking words. What linking words have you identified? Some of that in, in phrases, in love, in him, in right. all of them. Sometimes it's not a link. Yeah, so, but sometimes it's in love or in, yeah, so in can be one of those words. What are some other ident- identified linking words that you have? According to. Right, so this is telling us something. So we see that three times, four times in this passage. According to, according to, according to. It's linking ideas. I heard another one over here somewhere. Even. What verse do you see that? Verse four. Even as. Okay, well, he, like that's telling us something. What's another linking word? So that. Which verse? Verse 12. So he chose, according to the council, so that. Okay, well now we're getting ready to get a purpose. Uh, I heard another one of it. That. Verse 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Why? That. We should be holy and blameless. So that it's, it's telling us the purpose. It's, it's giving us the reason for God's choosing us. And this is really important. It, it doesn't say that or because we were awesome. No. And so it really does begin to help us understand God's word. We heard which. Is there which is in here? I don't know. Oh, which he set forth, yeah. With which and which, which he lavished upon us. And so these these words, these linking words, uh, are important because they help us see purpose primarily and cause and effect. So purpose. So if we go back to verse 4, right? He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Why? What purpose does God have in doing that? That. We should be holy and blameless before him. That's his purpose. And we can see the, the, the cause and effect of, of things. And so can you think of other passages where these linking words are super important? John 3.16. John 3.16. For God so loved the world. For. Right? For God so loved the world. So it's... That, that four is telling us why. Because God loved the world. There's one. If you have your Bibles, look at, look at Ephesians chapter 2. Just right over, I mean, yeah, verses 1 through 3, we're dead, we're dead, there's nothing we can do, verse 4. But, God. That's a huge, important transition. But God. And so that little word is really important. You can think of Romans chapter 12. So you might know the first word in Romans 12.1. Therefore. Therefore. So the literally the first 11 chapters of Romans is just gospel, 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 gospel. I think there's only like, I think it's like something like 10 or 12 commands in the first 11 chapters. And then you get 12 to 12, therefore, and 12 through 16, there's something like 60 commands. That's a big deal. Even when you look at Ephesians, you see these other, therefore, therefore, and so these words are really important to help us discern purpose and cause and effect. And so one of the, one of the most important things to observe is linking words. So we've looked for repeated words and phrases and ideas. We've looked for key words, phrases, and ideas. We've identified some linking words. And now we need to go back to 10th grade English and examine the grammar. 
Not my strong suit. Uh, but grammar is important, especially when you read the Bible. So all the parts like subject, object, verbs, verb tense, imperatives or commands or indicatives or adjectives. Why are these important? What do they help us begin to observe and understand? Amen. So verb tense tells us a lot about what God has done, is doing, and will do. So we should pay attention to verb tense. Yes. What are some other things that, that the grammar begins to help us? Points our attention to the right direction. Points our attention to the right direction. In what way? Past, future, yeah. like move to the right, to the left, to the right. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it helps us see what God must do and what we should do. Or, in many cases, what God has done to us. It helps us understand promises and commands and attributes of God. And it helps us understand who He is. So, again, out of Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14, make some observations about subject, object, verb, verb tense. Take some time to note the grammar. All right. As you transfer back to your English class days and you begin to look at the grammar, what do you begin to see? What are some, some things that you've observed out of this passage? Generally, we are the object of the sentence, the one who something is being done to. And even when we're the subject, when the verb relates to us, that subject tends to be kind of a verb that we don't have a lot of agency in. So... Um, like, when you heard the word of truth, we didn't do anything to hear, but a message was brought to us. Right. A lot of this is stuff happening to us. What are, what are some other grammar observations? Yeah. So do you notice all of the, most of these words that are happening to us are past tense? Predestined. Blessed. Predestined. Chose, adopted, redeemed, lavished, sealed. What's left for us to do? Redemption. Holy, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that tells us something, right? So this is telling us this is the God is the one doing the work to us. It is whatever Daniel said in the, the popular vernacular. It's my language. It's done. One of my favorite things about this passage is verse eleven. In Him we have obtained an inheritance. He's speaking past tense. I don't have it yet. But Paul's so sure of it that he's talking as if it's past tense. I think like the same thing happens in Romans 8. He says you're glorified. Not in the way the Bible talks about glorification when I see Jesus face to face, but it's so sure that he can speak of past tense. So, I mean, I would think like if I was writing, I'd say I will obtain, a, I will obtain an inheritance when Christ restores all things. And Scripture does speak like that. But Paul, in this instance, is speaking with past tense, saying, it's so sure that it's going to happen, I'm going to act as if it already did. That really encourages me I read God's Word. What commands do you see in this passage? You will look in vain. There are none. Why is that important to observe? Christ has been paid. 
It's been paid. So this passage isn't calling me to do anything. Like That's a really important observation. This is all about what's been done to me. That's a helpful observation. If you were to read Ephesians, the only command in the first three chapters is to remember. Remember, it's helpful. The other thing we want to do is we want to look at the mood or the tone of the text. Right? So if I think about Psalm 23, I want to observe the posture of the psalmist in that. He's not rebuking God's people. The Lord is your shepherd. Pay attention. Right? That's not what he's doing. He's like, no, the Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. Like, that's helpful for me to observe because it's going it's to begin to help me interpret and apply God's word. There are passages when God's laying the smack down, i.e. the book of Isaiah. <laughs> but there are other passages when it's not. What is the mood, the tone of this passage? What's the tone of Paul? Confidence and assurance. Yeah. Here it just seems like there's such this confidence and this assurance. It's just, it's just worship. This is what God has done. This is what God has done. This is what God has done. And you know where Paul was writing from? Prison. Prison. Same thing with Philippians. So when we ask about understanding the mood and the tone of the text, we want to take what's in the text and try to feel the way the author was feeling. Because when I read Ephesians 1 and then realize, oh, Paul's in prison, that's like, whoa. That's a whole lot more going on. Or when we, we've been reading Philippians, and he's like, I praise God for you, I thank for your part in the gospelship, as I'll preach next week. You know, I want you to know what's happened to me, so that it may serve to advance the gospel. His, his whole view, while he's in prison, makes a difference for how I understand the mood and the tone of the text. And so that helps me begin to apply and understand what he's doing. And so those are some of the things that we can observe. And so we want to pray for God's help, we want to look for repeated words, phrases, ideas. We want to look for key words and phrases. We want to identify linking words, examine the grammar, and understand the mood and the tone. A couple of strategies for doing this. One, just what we've been doing. Reading it repeatedly and slowly. To read repeatedly and slowly. Right? This is going to be harder if you're reading Genesis. But if you're reading an epistle, it's going to be easier. If you're reading a psalm, you can probably read that psalm multiple times over. And so a lot of this observation is going to play into, are we reading for familiarity and breadth or intimacy and depth? And the more you are on intimacy and depth, the more systematic this observation, interpretation, and application will be. And so we can, just like what we've done, a lot of times when I'm studying a passage, I'll read it and I'll look for linking words. Then I'll read it and I'll look for repetition. Then I'll read it and I'll look for commands. And then I'll read it and look for promises. And then I'll read it and look for, by the time I've done, I've read the passage 15 or 20 times. And you begin to notice various things. The other thing that I think is really helpful to do is mark up the passage. I am a fan, not everybody is, but I am a fan of writing in the Bible. Uh, if you look at my Bible, it looks like a little kid <laughs> took a crayon and started coloring. All those colors mean something to you. Right? So the red, you can see the red. All the red is the end and through Christ in Ephesians. You can see the... the um, the orange is the another repetition the praise of the Lord, the praise of the Lord, the praise of the Lord. Then if there's a third repetition, it's the according to. Highlight keywords, so that's the yellow stuff going on. Highlighting keywords. I, I I personally double underline the connecting words, so I have even as. 
according to, to, so that, that, double underlined in my Bible. I tend to circle or mark up the, the verbs. I use numbers to, to capture lists and arrows to capture flow of thought. And I write a lot of stuff on my, my margins. So you can do that in your Bible, or you can just print it off like I did for you this morning. If you're studying a passage, studying a book, print it off on, on regular paper and just begin to mark it up. But this is going to help you visually see what's happening in the text. So I encourage you to mark up the passage, whether that's in your Bible or on a piece of paper. And last but not least, I think it's helpful to try to outline the text. So to observe what's happening, try to put some outline on it. Literature is not random. It's like music. I don't understand music, but I know that there is a beat and there is an offbeat. Theoretically, I know these things. <laughs> it's the application. It's the application that's a bit tougher for me. No, but, but, but literature is the same way. And depending on the type, more about that next week, it's gonna, the, the, the structure may not look diff, may, will look different, so a narrative is going to look different than a epistle, different from a psalm and a poem. But there's, there's probably some type of structure that we can begin to get. Now, if you, I'll go ahead and warn you, if you begin to read commentators, I think they begin to find structure where there's no structure present. They're like, well, do you see what the author was doing here? And they have this big outline. I'm like, I don't think that's what he was doing. And so it can be forced. So don't go there. But try to ask, is there a structure to the passage? So if we think about Ephesians 1, do you see any structure? The passage as a whole, I think one of the things Paul is doing is showing us the triune nature of salvation. You have Father, Son, and Spirit. In verses 3 through 6, you have the work of the Father. In verses 7 through 12, you essentially have the work of the Son. In 13 and 14, you have the work of the Spirit. So that would be one way to begin to outline this passage to help us see what Paul is doing. It's not the only way. And as you study, this happens every time I preach. As you study, the more your outline will become clearer and change. But that's okay. That's part of wrestling with God's Word. And so as I outline the text, it's helpful so you can get to see an outline to help us observe what's happening in the text. So at the end, we want to have a summary, like what's in the text. So what would be a summary, not an interpretation, not what does it mean, but just a summary. What would be a summary maybe of Ephesians 1, 3 through 14? What do we see? God saves, we inherit. Or we say, Father chose... Son redeems, spirit seals. But yeah, just a, a what is there. We'll move on to a what, what does that mean for us and how does it apply. Not always discreet, but helpful to think. Okay. So that's a lot of observation. So yeah, go home this afternoon or this week and read Psalm 121 and try to find 15 observations of that passage. What are you observing? All right, so next week we will move on to interpretation. Uh, and strategies for that. And again, just let me say this, and then we'll pray. I'm just going to read this last page that I wrote here. So, you may find yourself thinking, am I supposed to do all this every time I read the Bible? And the answer is yes, and the answer is no. As we read Scripture, we should at some level always be observing, interpreting, applying. However, as we mentioned earlier, over the course of time, we will read the Bible at varying levels of depth. There will be seasons when you spend significant time digging deep into the intricacies of God's Word. 
During these times focused on intimacy in depth, you'll be well served to use this Bible study method in a more systematic way. Right? Observing, interpreting, applying. However, there will be periods when your, your emphasis is not depth, but familiarity. All the tools provided in this study will still serve you during these types of readings, but they may not be as distinct and prominent. So right now on my mornings, I'm reading through the entirety of Scripture. Just trying to, the whole familiarity. If I want to stop and do every step of this, I would never get through the Bible. But I'm still seeing things. And so, there should be times when we're doing this distinctly and times when we're reading a bit more broadly. So don't, I hope you're equipped, but don't feel the weight of, I've got to go pull up this sheet and do this every time I read the Bible. Sometimes yes, but not every time. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Restoration Church Life Podcast. May God continue to give us the grace to make disciples that delight in the supremacy of Jesus Christ in Washington, D.C. and beyond.